Good morning, church. It is so good to see all of you coming back together on a cool day like this. I hope it doesn't sprinkle. Uh, if it does, then you need to find some place to, uh, to uh, shelter yourself. But together, for the past six to seven months, God has blessed us with this outdoor worship. And I want to thank you all for faithfully coming back together in person or joining us online for the worship that we are able to come together. This morning, I want to share with you a topic called Take Heed to the Warning Signs. You know, there are warning signs all around us. And, and most of us are made of striking colors and usually are visibly displayed, written in bold, and painted with a reflective paint for night vision because they don't want anyone to miss those important messages because missing the warning signs can be detrimental. And this is exactly what we will be preaching this morning on 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 13. And Paul is attempting to remind us to take heed to the warning signs. In the past two sermons, Paul has told us that he was willing to surrender his rights for the sake of the gospel. Though he has every right to receive financial support from a church in Corinth, but he rather support himself as a tent maker for the sake of the gospel. Though he has freedom to be himself, but for the sake of the gospel, he rather identifies with whoever he's associating with. He's a Jew among a Jew, a Gentile among a Gentile, without compromising the moral standards so that he can win them to Christ. Now in chapter 10, Paul picks up the subject of eating meat offered to the idols again. But before dealing with specific situations like eating meat in the pagan temple, eating meat purchased from marketplace, eating meat during home cooking, he began with a warning to the believers who consider himself strong and is able to withstand the challenge of eating in the pagan temple on food offered to the idols. Paul is saying, be careful. Take heed to the warning signs. Take heed to the warning signs from our history, from our ancestors. And with that, he began to show us the privileges of the Israelites, and that privilege did not help them to stand strong before God. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Verses 1 to 5. If you have the Bible, follow me along. And if you want to read along, I welcome you to do so as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 to 5. Paul says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in a cloud and in a sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. You notice the word is repeated five times. It's the word all. They were all under the cloud, all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses. They were all uh, eating the, the same spiritual food and drank from the same spiritual uh, water. The it makes no exception to any of their forefathers and ancestors that they were all under full coverage under the blessings of God. But even with that full coverage, they 
still failed miserably. The five privileges mentioned here uh, is clearly written in their history, and if you are familiar with the Old Testament history, you can easily spot what is it alluding to. They were all under the cloud. They were guided and protected by the pillar of cloud by day and by the pillar of fire by night, Exodus chapter 13. They passed through the sea while God parted the Red Sea to enable the people to walk on dry land and, and cross the Red Sea, Exodus 14. They were baptized into Moses. See, their deliverance by cloud and by sea was like being baptized into Moses symbolically, meaning they identify with their sp a spiritual leader in Exodus 14. Just like our baptism in Christ identify us with Christ, identify us with the body of Christ as a public testimony before the witnesses. They were baptized into Moses symbolically in that way. And they ate the same spiritual food. Not the food that we provide, but from heaven, manna from heaven, Exodus chapter 16. So it is spiritual in nature. And finally, they drank the same spiritual drink, not the water that we have as we turn on the faucet, but they were supernaturally provided by God in the desert by using Moses either to strike the rock or to tell the rock to gash up the water to quench the thirst of his people. And it is of spiritual nature, not by human. And in verse 4, he reminds us that for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. That's the source of the water. The life-giving water is a spiritual rock, not the physical rock, but the spiritual rock that followed them, and who is Christ Jesus. And this is the pre-incarnated Christ, giving physical and spiritual nourishment for His people in the desert. As you remember, in the Psalms, often reminds us that the Lord is my rock and my salvation, my refuge. Rock is often utilized as a symbol of God's protection, God's provision, and God's presence. And they all have that. And you would expect people who are loaded with so much privilege, and they will have an upper hand and advantage to succeed in their faith. And, and, and when, when Moses reflected on the special status of Israel's before God, in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 33 and 34, he says, Did any people ever hear the voice of God speaking out of the midst of the fire as you have heard and still live? None. You are the exception. Verse 40, 34 says, Or has any God ever attempted to go and take a nation for himself from the midst of another nation? Well, taking Israelites from Egypt by trials, by signs and wonders, by wars and a mighty hand and outstretched arm by the ten plagues and by great deeds of terror all of which the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes. Have you ever heard of that? None. You are the exception. 
You are the privileged ones. But you know what? Privileges do not guarantee success in their faith. Verse 5 says, Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. They lay down in the wilderness. They were buried in the wilderness because of their disobedience to God. Except, see, most of them died. Those 20 and above, all the guys died in the wilderness, except Joshua and Caleb. Now you remember why in last week's sermon, when Pastor Hanley preached that sermon, towards the end in chapter 9, verses 25 and 27, he reminded us that you need to press on strong. You need to, to continue to be faithful and, and exercise and discipline your body and put it under control lest you be disqualified through this process. Privileges do not guarantee success in their faith. You know, this is a reminder for the strong brothers in the church of Corinth, or at least they feel they are strong, that they, they, are, they can handle the food, eating the food offered to the idols, even in pagan's temple, that is very, very close to idol worship. And they feel that they can handle that. And Paul is reminding these brothers in that church that even though you are enriched in every way and in all speech and knowledge, that you are not lacking in any gift, it doesn't guarantee triumph over temptations. Pay attention. Take heed to the warning signs as you look at your own history, as you look at what happened to your forefathers. You know, Today, as we continue to live for Christ and reflected on the privileges of the Israelites, I would say that, you know, we are even much more privileged today. And we should be stronger, right? Because of all the privileges that we enjoy today. We have the full revelation of God in Christ Jesus incarnate. We have the Bible, God's inspiration and instructions to guide us how to respond to different challenges of life. We have even more clouds of weaknesses. Imagine in the days of Jesus and the writer of Hebrews saying that there were clouds of weaknesses so pressed on into endurance. Now, 2,000 years later, there are even more clouds of weaknesses. And on top of that, we have the freedom of religion in most parts of the world. We are aided by technologies and transportations and conveniences of modern life and communications, publications, all the trainings and educations available to us. We should be stronger, right? But as I reflected on this passage, I felt the same haunting voice from verse 5 coming to me and coming to you. But they were overthrown in the wilderness. I wonder, would we end up like that? Just like the wilderness generation. You know what happened? It shouldn't be that way. Well, sometimes too much of a good thing can be challenging and can be detrimental. We become cumbersome, overweight, like too much information. We all experienced in the past 12 months to 24 months, there were confusion because there were too much information. 
We were swayed by sensational news and manipulated by fake news and stirred up by passionate political agendas. We lost our bearing and discernment. You know, when there are too much information, I want to remind you to go back to the basics. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, Paul reminded us, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. There were so many voices. A certain person won this way, a certain person won that way. And others said, this is priority. Others said, this is not important. Where, where do I go? How do I follow? He says, I only know Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That is my anchor. And with that anchor, I know what to say, I know what to pick on, I know what to follow. And we have too many voices just within the Christendom. And that brings to infightings, of course. And worship of person with charisma, assertive personality, can-do spirit, and confer him a Messiah status. That's scary. When you follow a very powerful leader too closely for too long, you begin to convert him a Messiah status. And that comes very close to idol worship. When there are too many voices, hear from the shepherds. Matthew eleven twenty eight. the shepherd says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest from all these voices and hear my voice and follow my lead. Learn from these lessons. A privileged position doesn't always guarantee success in your walk with God. And after laying down that foundation, in verses 6 to 10, he begins to give examples of failures from the history and lessons that we can glimpse from those uh, failures. Verses 6 to 10. The Bible says, now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. You know, in this short passage, again, you hear a phrase being repeated, as some of them did, as they did, five times. It is to remind us that we need to learn from this example of failure and not repeat the mistake. It is like Hazard light is blinking right now. Take heed. Pay attention. Be watchful of all these bad examples and learn from it. It is an example for us, not just the church in Corinth, but for the church today. Look at the five failures. They were craving for pleasure. That's in Numbers chapter 11. They rejected God and rather be enslaved in Egypt again, for what? For the craving of meat. They want meat. And they were ready to go back to Egypt just to get that. And, and secondly, idolatry in Exodus chapter 32. 
in the worship of the golden calf when Moses was receiving the Ten Commandments, the law on Mount Sinai. The people lose faith and they give their gold ornaments to be melted to make into a golden calf the same idol they remember in the days of Egypt and and thought this is the God who has led us. And of course, God's judgment came upon them. And the third failure is sexual immorality. That's in Numbers chapter 25. The immoral sexual activities with Moabite women. And the worst is, after that, they begin to worship their idols. And God's judgment came upon them. 23,000 died. You know, in Numbers 25, it says 24,000. You know, sometimes we wonder what's the discrepancy. Well, some commentators say, well, because the leaders were not counted. About 1,000 leaders, if you add them into it, that's 24,000. Others will say, well, they round up the numbers. It's about 23,000 plus. So you run up to 23,000 or you run up to 24,000. But no matter what, the result is detrimental because of their sin against God through sexual immorality. And the fourth failure is their testing of God. That's in Numbers chapter 21. They accuse God and Moses of making a mistake for leading them into the wilderness, into the desert. There's nothing out there. Why, why are we here? You have made a mistake, God. You have made a mistake, Moses. And finally, grumbling in Numbers chapter 16, when the family of Korah and their leaders and members of the family Korah, they rose up against the leadership of Moses and Aaron, and the judgment came upon them as well. All these five failures, brothers and sisters, all these temptations are not new to the church of Corinth. They try and play with meat offered to the idols. They have disunity and strife among the leadership. They worship star preachers and try to compare them and rank them to the division and dissension of the church. They tolerated incestuous relationships and fornications in the church. They expect God to act according to their terms, the people in Corinth's term, and not to God's terms. They were unloving toward weaker brothers. They were unloving toward others with different opinions. They were gambling. All this happened in the church of Corinth. And I would also say that they are not new to the church today because we are no strangers to sex scandals, monetary scandals, abuse of power scandals in the church today. Though it is a small percentage, but it is increasing alarmingly. alarmingly. It is increasing. And that's, that's really get us scary as leaders of the church. You know, even as we come to this point of tracing the history and the tragic consequences of sinful activities against God, and we wonder, is there hope? Will we ever recover from these failures? Towards the end of this passage, verses 11 to 13, 
we see the promise of hope. The promise of hope that Paul reminded the people in the church in Corinth. Verses 11 through 13. It says, Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction, on whom the end of the ages has come. And therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed, lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. As he prepares and set the ground for the promise of hope, he gave a warning first and then a hope. You know, it is like a car. For a car to function well, you need a brake. You need an accelerator. You need to stop and you need to go. You have the power to go and the power to stop. For a car to function well, and same, for the church to function well, we need a warning, but we also need a hope. We need a promise in God. Verses 11 and 12 is a warning against overconfidence. Verse 11 says, Now these things happen to them as an example. It is their example, but it is our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. That we who are waiting for the second coming of Christ, that is the message for us. And the, in verse 12, it is a classic case of self-assessment that goes bad. He says, therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. He who thinks that he can stand firm will likely fall. So be warned. You see, self-deception is blinding. When you assume that you are strong, you tend to let your guard down. And that's when you are most vulnerable. And this is a specific warning to those in the church in Corinth who think that they are strong enough to handle eating food offered to the idols and say, be warned, take heed to the warning sign. Don't think that you can stand strong by yourself. Be humble. Come under the protection of your God, of Christ Jesus. After the warning against overconfidence, then he gave the hope for the future. And there are four points that we can learn from verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to men. Temptation is for all. We all experience temptations, young and old, male and female. We all experience that. But God is faithful. There's a second thing about the temptation. God is faithful in every generation, in every temptation to sustain us. God is faithful and God is able that you may be able to endure it. If you come under the teaching and come under the protection of God, do not, do not come out. Do not be away from the protection of God. God is able to help you to endure it. And God will make a way that He will provide the way of escape so that you may be able to endure it. So this is a reminder that it is not our fights. It is God fighting on our behalf. That He will not give us anything that we can't handle. 
so long as we rely on His strength and yielding ourselves to the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit rather than trying to resist temptations on our own. And we can also choose to reject the way out, of course, and yield to temptation. But we will be then accountable to God for the freedom of choice to choose our own way and lead, that leads us to sin against God. And it is also a teaching that reminds us the way out is not necessarily the removal of the difficult circumstances, but the ability to endure it. Why did Paul choose the word endure it? Why didn't he choose and overcome it? Isn't that sounds more triumphant? Well, he chose the word endure it because this is not the end yet. The temptation will come back. Other temptations will come in, in many forms and in many ways. So you can endure it over and over again. You can endure it over the long stretch of time if you come under the teaching of God's Word, if you come under the protection of God. So today I just want to remind our brothers and sisters as we listen to this message to take heed the lessons of the past lest we repeat the same mistakes. Take heed of the lessons of the past lest we repeat the same mistakes. And I want to remind you that today, as I look at this passage here, what is the greatest temptation that we experience today? Well, I think we all can say that, well, the greatest temptation of our time today is the COVID-19. For 12 months, we endured that. And by God's grace, we endured. It dominated our lives. It changed the way we shop, we work, and we relate to each other. It strained relationships. It broke many hearts, especially family who lost loved ones. It caused depression in some people. It hurts the economy. It caused tension among nations when COVID-19 is used as a political weapon against each other. Now that it is more under control, well, we have other temptations. We become too complacent too complacent with online worship because it's so convenient. It's so easy. Some still need it, but others should prepare for the gradual reopening of the church as we come back in-person worship, outdoor and later on indoor. As we slowly reopen our church according to the guidelines. You know, someone said that there are three responses from Christians after COVID-19. One is paralyzed. They were paralyzed, immobilized, unwilling to move, too afraid to move. After all these months, we don't want to move anymore. We are paralyzed. The second response is overwhelmed, overtaken, to the point where we, we forgot our identity as disciples of Jesus Christ. We can't remember the missions of our church anymore because we didn't hear it enough. And thirdly, we, we are conditioned. We are conditioned. We think the new normal is the normal. We see online as the normal way of worship. But remember, online worship is there only because of COVID-19. <laughs> and without COVID-19, we should not be 
using online as the way, as the only way, as the major way of worship. Now, by God's grace, we look forward to the reopening of the church when it is safe to come back in person, indoor. And when it comes, we will call you as a church. We will call you as pastors. We will prepare you. We will encourage you. And we also expect you to come back together in person to worship because the Bible reminds us that we should not forsake the assembly, the gathering of the saints for the sake of worshiping God and serving our God. Our mission is still the same, a vibrant church of disciple makers that reproduces vibrant churches locally and globally. So be ready and be prepared. And maybe for some of you, you should start with the outdoor worship now and slowly as we ease back into the indoor worship and come back together. I also want to remind you that while COVID-19 is the greatest temptation during this time that we have to face and endure, but there is blessing. There is blessing in the midst of COVID-19 pandemic. Our faith were tested and stretched. We cherish the values of getting together even more. We value prayer. We see the importance of spiritual disciplines that sustain us throughout these months. And with the post-COVID-19 reopening that is imminent by God's grace, we have a new building that will be completed, 14,000 square feet indoor and 10,000 square feet outdoor. We have the enhanced Wi-Fi capability. We have the upgraded lightings and PA system. We have the expanded outdoor space. Would they weigh us down with self-serving programs just like the Christians in the church of Corinth? They have so gifted, so, so much blessing to the point where they have taken it for granted. Would this weigh us down to create and expand more self-serving program or they will make us a more vibrant church by sharing our resources with our neighbors and with our community. In that way, we are being challenged to give generously and to go courageously as the indicator of a vibrant church. And, and that's the challenge that we want our people to remember. Like the servants given five talents that Jesus told the parables, and then the one gave it, given two talents, and they invested and have earned back five talents and two talents to the compliments of the master. But that servant given one talent was too afraid to try. He buried that talent. And the master rebuked that servant and took away that talent and gave it to other people. And as I look at our church with, with all the blessings, this, despite difficulty, but the blessings that come to us, I would not be surprised when all this will be taken away from us because others can use it to bless the neighbors and to bless the community when we refuse to do so. So I really want to challenge our church and, and as we prepare for the reopening, 
think of what God is placing in our hearts and the possibilities of how our church can serve the community, can be a blessing to the community with the gospel of Jesus Christ so that the love of Jesus will go out the four walls of the church and to bless others. And I pray that that will be our mission when we regather and reopen, when we relaunch our ministry together. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for this message and thankful for this reminder that the warnings given to us, that the failures being spelled out in the history of the Israelites is a reminder for us today that, Lord, we will follow you, we will continue to be faithful, that we should never take things for granted, that we should not think that we are powerful enough, strong enough, that the overconfidence that we might have can be our downfall. I pray that you will teach us to lean on God and to trust you so that we are able to endure temptations that will still be coming, but rather we'll be faithful. But prepare our church, prepare ourselves for the full reopening, for the full regathering, for the full relaunching of our church and for our ministry. And we look forward to that. May you empower us to do your will and empower us to continue to bear together the gospel of Jesus Christ, the cross of Jesus, and to be your disciples. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.